two. So as a short recap, uh, the uh, country kind of went, what do they say, from the frying pan into the fire, right? That uh, <coughs> Maharaj Anga left the kingdom, uh, both disgusted that he had such a rascal son and also to attain enlightenment. And he kind of left it in the middle of the night. He just took off. And then, with the, without a, like I said, the example we gave last week uh, was that it's almost like there was no police force. The police force just left. Right? You can imagine what the Maryland would be like without police force. Um, and so the thieves and rogues were having a field day. The sages, who usually don't get involved in such things, said, well, we got to do something because we have compassion for the uh, citizens. So they decided that the best thing to do, um, despite the minister's advice not to do it, was to enthrone King Vena, well, Vena, make him King Vena, with the hopes that he could be reformed. Well, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> and so then the sages uh, said, well, we, you know, we made one mistake, we're going to have to, so they, they uh, killed him with high, through, high, with, uh, through their mantras, and then again, we have the same situation where there's no, um, there's no uh, government to protect the citizens. So uh, now we're hearing about how, um, how Avena's uh, mom, was it? Yes, uh, conserved his body. And then through mystic powers and things, uh, they are about to uh, churn the body and bring out first. Uh, Bahuka, and then eventually uh, Archie and Pritu. That's where we are. The sages decided that the descendants of the family of the saintly king Unga should not be stopped, for in this family the semen was very powerful, and the children were very were prone to become devotees of thank you so much, devotees of the Lord. So. Um, it's interesting, we say, you know, our, our main focus is guna karma vibhagasa, right? That uh, we don't judge a person by their birth, but by their qualities and by their activities, their guna and their karma. That doesn't mean that birth can't have an influence, as we're hearing here, that when you come in, in a line of, uh, there's a, just like uh, the example Srila Prabhupada would often give, such a good example, right, is that, uh, just because you're the son or daughter of a high court judge or a Supreme Court judge in America, it doesn't mean you're going to become a high court judge. Right? It doesn't make you a high court judge automatically. At the same time, there, it's, there's, a likely, there's a greater likelihood, probably, because you, know, you grew up in that atmosphere. You, your father or mother had friends over who were also involved in, 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 in the court system, and you may become attracted to that, right? and, and you may have followed your, one of your parents to, to work sometimes and watch them and say, oh, I could, I'd like to be like that. Right? So there's, there's some uh, inclination like that. Right? Or we, and we hear, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, suchi nam shimitam gehe yogo brashtobhijayate, that one who practices this path and is not perfect uh, takes a particular birth. Suchi nam, in, in a family of... Uh, of learned people, brahmanas, suchinam shimitam, or a well-to-do family where they don't, they're not worrying about where the next meal is and they can have more time for hearing and chanting about God and about Krishna. Uh, and, then, and then the next verse, or a verse or two later, a very rare um, 
is to be born in a devotee family who's, you know, right from the very beginning, like Srila Prabhupada would say, his parents encouraged him to do rathiyatra and, and things like that, you know. That, and such, that kind of is very rare. So it's not an automatic, it's not automatic, guna and karma, but it's more like, there's a greater likelihood of that guna and karma to follow. And, and we saw in, um, in ancient cultures, not only in India, but in ancient cultures in general, there was a much more pure kind of, of, uh, of this, these lines, you know, where, uh, um, you know, if let's say, for example, the example that comes to my mind is Marwari business people, right? And often they've been business people for hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation, right? But now there's, there's differences, you know, there's much more mixing and, and the internet and travel by, you know, there's airplanes and trains and all these things where people could travel far and wide and meet other people going off to the university, right? Is, uh, in, I know at least in Marwari families, they often didn't go to universities. They, they learned everything by following, following their, their parents or their grandparents in, in the business, right? So here, it, just like um, in Adwaitacharya, he had uh, six offspring, and three of them became devotees, and three didn't. So, you know, go figure, right? So any thoughts on that before we move on? Okay. After making a decision, the saintly persons and sages churned the thighs of the dead body of King Vena with great force and according to a specific method. As a result of this churning, a dwarf-like person was born from King Vena's body. This person, born from King Vena's thighs, was named Bahuka, and his, his complexion was as black as a crow's. All the limbs of his body were very short, his arms and legs were short, and his jaws were large. His nose was flat, his eyes were reddish, and his hair copper-colored. He was very submissive and meek, so he was a good person, right? And immediately after his birth, he bowed down and inquired, Sirs, what shall I do? The great sages replied, Please sit down, Nisiddha. Thus, Nisada, the father of the Nisada race, was born. After his, Nisada's birth, he immediately took charge of all the resultant actions of King Vena's sinful activities. Wow, that was probably a lot. Because as we said last week, King Vena was kind of uh, not the nicest guy in the world. Right, the, the example I gave like a couple of times, but it's just so strong is you know, he go off and play and kill his friends. <laughs> Could you imagine? Yeah, yeah, go out and play with your neighbors. <laughs> Come back, your child's dead. Um, as such, the Naishada class are always engaged in sinful activities like stealing, plundering, and hunting. Consequently, they are only allowed to live in the hills and forests. And in the purport. Prabhupada writes that um, we should, you know, he talks about the uh, Naisadas, and then he says that we should, however, know that even these sinful men who are sometimes called Kiratas can be delivered from their sinful conditions to the topmost Vaishnava platform by the mercy of a pure devotee. Engagement in the transcendental loving service of the Lord can make anyone, however sinful he may be, fit to return home back to Godhead. One has only to become free from all contamination by the process of devotional service. So this is such an important point, right? Uh, 
uh, it's, it, Rupa Goswami says it's everyone's janmakar, right? Janma, we know what that means. What does that mean? Birth and adhikar means like uh, right. So it's your birthright to be Krishna's servant. No one's excluded. And we're not these bodies. You may be a, 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 a naishadha, one birth, and a gandharva, another birth, right? Uh, in the... Uh, I, I'm, I'm reading a little bit ahead. I'm just up to the fifth canto myself in my personal reading. But I came across this uh, recently in a later chapter of this canto that um, Narada is, is speaking to Prachinabharhisa. We'll, we'll learn all about this in a month or two from now. He said, actually, you are not... Oh, actually, um, after uh, Paranjan took birth in his next life as, as a woman... Actually, you are not the daughter of Vidharba, nor is this man, her husband, uh, Mayalad Raja, your well-wishing husband, nor were you the actual husband of Paranjani. You were simply captivated by this body of nine gates. And Prabhupada writes in the purport that in the material world, many living entities come into contact with one another and increase their attachment to a particular type of body. Uh, and, oh, and increasing their attachment to a particular type of body, become related as father, husband, mother, wife, etc. Actually, every living entity is a separate individual being, and it is because of his contact with matter that he comes together with other bodies and becomes falsely related. So, false uh, bodies create various associations in the name of family, community, society, and nationality. So, it, it, so we've had so many births. We've had so many births, right? You know, the simple thing is, uh, Mahamantra, how old are you? 50? So where were you 55 years ago? Who knows, right? And, and, and the family that you had and the country that you were born in and, and the uh, expertise that you had, let's, assuming you were a human, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, that's all forgotten, right? And uh, if you're 50 now, let's say you really have heavy longevity. So 50 years from now, you know, the country you're born, your favorite sports team, whatever, your mortgage, katam hogya, right? It's all, uh, it's, it's all gone. So one could, the, the, the challenge is though, that when we hear these things, we could get the wrong impression. And this has sometimes happened even in our society. We could, it could lead us to think, oh, well, therefore, there's no need to be affectionate to my family. There's no need to take care of them. A matter of fact, uh, uh, I'm going to Brindavan, uh, and my wife can take care of the mortgage. Horrible, right? That, that kind of, because it, it can lead to that kind of detached mood. And a matter of fact, that's what happens to Ghani's who don't have any connection with the, the person Krishna, that they, there's that tendency to just, you know, ah, what's, what's the use? It's all temporary, right? Um, so it's good for us as devotees to have that eternal vision that I'm a soul, I'm eternal. I've been through so many different lifetimes. But our conclusion is, therefore, just drop everything, right? And uh, no, our conclusion is, therefore, let me really be serious about my Krishna consciousness. Let me really be serious about developing love and affection 
for Krishna and Krishna's devotees and kindness to all living entities. That's what attracts Krishna, not just Haribol. Not just, you know. So, in two ways, this is addressed in the Gita. Krishna does encourage our detached mood, but then he says, on, so two levels. The first level is doing our duty. Karma nevari karastein mafaleshu kadachana. Right? That, that we, sh- that, okay, we have this body, we have these relationships, we have this family, we do our duty. We do, we do what's right. And then beyond that, or the, the next level from that, that is the pratishta or the basis. And then the next level is that, especially when we're dealing with devotees, we actually, this is my, the topic of my Sunday open house talk, we, we deal with great affection. But not for the body, necessarily. Right? One is very, very lucky if one's spouse is a devotee, just as she walks in, very good timing. Uh, yeah. Because then when you're serving your husband, you're serving your wife, you're also doing Vaishnava Seva, Vaishnavi Seva. Right? So it's very, very fortunate to have that, that kind of situation. So, um, I, but I brought this up in reference to um, this, this uh, purport that Prabhupada was saying, anyone can become a devotee. It doesn't matter the, 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 the situation we find ourselves in. You know, it's not like being born in New York is a very pious birth. Although New Yorkers may think otherwise. It's, it's not, right? But whatever it is, we, you know, Srila Prabhupada says that, uh, that at the earliest age possible or at the time we realize its importance, we should take shelter of Krishna and be devotees. So you know whatever the the past you know forget the, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur said forget the past that sleeps. What can you do? Right? What can you do if you were born in this family or that family? Right? But uh, but like um, uh, right when someone asks a, a devotee what is your gotra? Right? Because if someone asks you what is my gotra, it's like <laughs> right, right. But Prabhupada said that we can say achuta gotra. Right, that we are the, uh, the Gotra means family line, right? What is your family line? When you say our family line is to Krishna, <laughs> like that. Some thoughts on this? Comments, questions? Yes, where is the microphone today? The red one. So, care should go to the material body as well as the spirit soul for it to be a complete package. Otherwise, like, it's out of balance. Because as devotees, we might tend to put the focus more on the soul and ignore the care that's needed for the Mm -hmm. body as well also. Right. So there should be a balance between those two for it to be complete. Yes, it's, it's, a devotee is, well, first of all, we're realistic. We know uh, um, we know we're going to get older we know we're, there's sickness and we know there's death but it's just like uh, what is the example that's sometimes given that uh, if, if you know it's going to rain but you don't bring an umbrella <laughs> right you know? so, so d- we know that's there, but at the same time, every single letter Srila Prabhupada ever signed was, I hope you, this meets you in good health. 
right? So we take care of our health knowing that, uh, he would also use this phrase a lot, making the best use of a bad bargain, right? So we know it's gonna finish at some point and we know it's gonna get deteriorate, but still we do the best we can. We're not overly like, you know, at the gym five hours a day kind of thing, trying to have, make sure we have a six pack and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Maybe you can have a six pack if you like, but, um, but, but we do take care of our, our, our health uh, because, again, everything that's related to Krishna. Anashtaktasya vishayan yartaham upayunjita. Nirbanda Krishna sambande yuktum vairagya ujjate. So anashtaktasya vishayan. Vishayan means like sense, like sense gratification or engaging the senses. We don't give, we, but we use the senses in Krishna's service. So we're trying to take care of this body. The, the longer it's healthy, the longer we can do, you know, nice service to Krishna. So we, so we take care of our, our health like that. Is that all right? Anyone else? Yes, Prabhu? Hare Krishna. So one of the references I was reading, where Srila Prabhupada gave the reference of India, is like, he said that that's like an elephant. Even at current state, if it's a dead elephant, it's useful. And then yes. when it's alive, it's useful because people are pious and they are religious by nature. Right. So it's an easier. So that's why when he took the Western devotees to India, it kind of like the movement just bursted out and everyone was, you know, so much inclined towards Krishna consciousness and it spread, you know, far and wide. Mm. So again, yes. Yeah, people were inspired. Yes. Yeah. Thinking about. Yes, anyway, it's important that we take care of our health in Krishna's service. It is not, in other words, it's kind of similar to the other points I was just making, right? You think, well, I'm not this body. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to die. So I'll have uh, eight pakoras and 15 gulab jamans and top that off with some cheesecake and, uh, you know, some french fries. Right? Just everything fried and sweet. Right? Because why it doesn't matter. So that's not our thought process. Okay, that's the end of that chapter. So in the next chapter, King Prithu's appearance and coronation. The great sage Maitreya continued, My dear Vidura, thus the Brahmanas and the great sages uh, again churned the two arms of this. This time, two ar they did the arms. Before it was the thighs, right? The arms of King Vena's dead body. As a result, a male and female couple came out of his arms. The great sages were highly learned in Vedic knowledge. When they saw the male and, fem and female born of the arms of Venu's body, they were very pleased. But they could understand, for they could understand that the couple was an expansion of a plenary portion of Vishnu, the supreme personality of Godhead. The great sages said, the male is a plenary expansion of the power of Lord Vishnu who maintains the entire universe. And the female is a plenary expansion of the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, who is never separated from the Lord. And Prabhupada's purport, the significance of the goddess of fortunes never being separated from the Lord is clearly mentioned here. So this is an important point. People in the material world are very fond of the goddess of fortune, meaning money, wealth. Um, and they want her favor in the form of riches, right? To most people, if you had a choice between rich and poor, you'd probably take, right? Yeah. 
Uh, they should know, however, that the goddess of fortune is inseparable from Lord Vishnu. Darn. <laughs> right. Materialists should understand that the goddess of fortune should be worshipped along with Lord Vishnu and should not be regarded separately. Materialists seeking the favor of the goddess of fortune must worship Lord Vishnu and Lakshmi together to maintain material opulence. If a materialist follows the policy of Ravana, because Ravana, what did he want to do? He wanted to separate Sita from Lord Ramachandra. The process of separation will, van will vanquish him. Those who are very rich and have taken the favor, taken favor of the goddess of fortune in this world must engage their money in the service of the Lord. In this way, they can continue in their opulent position without disturbance. Now, one may think, well, no. So there's some people who have no concept of worshiping God and they remain wealthy for their whole life. Well, wait till next life. <laughs> Not necessarily so. So uh, uh, there's... Um, so there's different classes of people, right? There's some people who just want to just want money and have no interest in religion, right? Then there's people who uh, want to be op opulence and they approach God for that purpose, right? Um, and the, the Bhagavad Gita talks about such people, right? Chatur vidha bhajante mam jana sukriti norjuna arto jigyasa artarti jnani cha bharatarsava. He says. Uh, the person desiring wealth is one of the four sukritina, pious people, who approach God for that, right? So there's nothing, it's, it's, it's good in the sense that you acknowledge that there's a higher power than you, right? But we know that it's not pure devotion, right? Even uh, um, in the late 60s, there was a song um, uh, that came out that mocked this kind of consciousness. You know, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? You know, my friends all drive Porsches, I must make amends. <laughs> Worked hard all my lifetime, no help from my friends. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> so, um, and, and, and it's interesting that um, there's also, in, especially in America, but not only in America, in other parts of the world, it started in America, there's, there's these uh, Christian churches that are labeled prosperity churches, right? And they, they have a certain kind of theology. I'm just, I did looked it up a little bit, that they view the Bible as a contract between us and God, right? And if we have faith in God, he will give us security and prosperity. That's their idea. So, there, so you know, it's kind of like that verse in the Bhagavad Gita. Right, um, and the, uh, the I'm just reading from the doctrine emphasizes the importance of personal empowerment, proposing that it is God's will for His people to be blessed. So, I don't know for myself. I don't find uh, I've, I've actually you know sometimes listened to the, the, those sermons and I like I kind of cringe, right? Um, because we've been so trained by Srila Prabhupada, by Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita, by the Srimad Bhagavatam, that uh, that real wealth is developing our relationship with God. And, and for a devotee, ideally their situation is, Krishna, I'm your servant, I'm going to serve you, 
wealth or poverty is up to you. It's up to my karma and, and, and my activities, but ultimately it's up to you. And whatever, if, what, what you give me, I'll be satisfied with. If you give me great wealth, I'll use that wealth in your service. If you give me poverty, I'll live simply and still try to spend as much time as I can in your service. Um, and it's very interesting because in the Prabhupada's purports, both, thing, both things are there. Sometimes if a devotee is kind of stubborn and not so, you know, oh, I'll serve Krishna. Sometimes Prabhupada will quote the 11th canto verse, that if I'm really merciful to somebody, I take things away. At other times, though, he'll say that, uh, that well, sometimes he'll say the, the worshippers are Shiva, are more opulent than Vishnu, but then at other times he'll say, no, if one worships Krishna, he can get all opulences if the Lord desires. So he says different things in different places. That's why ultimately the devotee leaves things in his hands. Now, does that mean we don't make any endeavors to be financially sound? No. Again, it's back to that, the same point we were making a few minutes ago. Just because everything's up to Krishna doesn't mean we don't have any part to play in it, right? So um, we endeavor, as Prabhupada would say uh, many times, honestly, that devotees should have an honest occupation um, and... Uh, and do his best to maintain, or her best to maintain their family. And uh, you know, even in the preface to the Nectar of Devotion, Prabhupada would say that you can live comfortably in this life and practice bhakti yoga. So it's not that we have to uh, live simply, although I think I've already mentioned this, right, that uh, when I was a monk, a brahmacharya, everything fit in a box about the size of an apple crate, and I had no anxieties about money, because I didn't have any. <laughs> but Krishna took care. And now that I'm married with a child and this and that, that is, it's not as simple living. Yes, Prabhu? So in this area, you still have a lot of gray, Prabhu. So we have a lot of what? Gray, gray, gray zone. Means gray, there's a lot of gray area yeah, in this, so yes. It's clear like a mud, you know, it's not like... It's clear as mud? Yes. Okay. For me. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, like just a few minutes before, you said we have to take care of the body. Uh, it's not like it's Krishna's property and like, you know, right. you know and at the same time, like another uh, instinct is you, you don't have to eat too much. It's because it's Krishna's body and spoil your body. At the same time, yogis don't take anything that, um, you know, they just uh, negate everything. Right. So, we are in the middle. Uh, and uh, what is the, like, you know, the it's everything Krishna's property, and then like, you know, there is nothing to do uh, for for ourselves. So there is like a duty comes in, like uh, it's our duty to do something, and that that is not at all clear. Like you know, we are serving the Lord, and I, I'm t I'm talking about myself. I try to serve the Lord, and uh, not to the full extent. At the same time, okay, what is mine? And if it is not mine, I don't take care. Um, well, you know, it's kind of like there's different shlokes for different folks, right? <laughs> so it's kind of like that because, uh, yes, yeah, you say a yogi doesn't like try to eat very little, right? A, a devotee enjoys honoring prasadam, right? So even let's say, let's take prasadam as an example, right? If someone is young and they're coming to Krishna consciousness, Prabhupada would say, eat up to your neck. Right, you know, and uh, uh, 
and uh, yeah, like you, so you waddle <laughs> like a duck after you have to leave, right? Or, or you know, there's stories of of uh, Tamal Kushmaraj when someone was. Uh, this happened in the earlier days of ISKCON. Someone was really thinking of just kind of giving up Krishna consciousness, and he'd say, "Okay, no problem. Just sit down before you go. Let have a last meal," and he'd give him halava, and then he'd eat the halava, and he'd keep giving him more halava, more halava, and so they're like, "No, I think I'm going to stay," you know. <laughs> you know? So. So when you're young like that, you know that's one thing. When you turn 60 years old, then uh, you you know you you know um, uh, you don't want to eat a gallon of halava, right, or something like that. So so age has a factor. Um, our marital status has a factor, you know, in terms of things. So um, uh, there's there's always where we live, right? You know, when I was living in India, a certain way living in America is a bit of a different way. Right, so Desha Kalapatra, the time, the place, the circumstance, all have influences, and therefore it's good to be guided by a more advanced devotee than ourselves. When we have questions, we find someone who understands us, and we we take guidance from them, um, because because there are gray areas, and you know the uh, I'm just reading um, today that uh, so. Swayam, so like we were saying, how kings want to go, eventually go off into the forest, and saintly kings, Raja Rishi. So Swayam Bhuvamanu wanted to retire, but he had uh, uh, he wanted to make Priyavrata Maharaj his uh, successor, his son. But Narada Muni had a different plan for him. Narada Muni said, "No, why should you get entangled in all of being a king and family life? And, oh my God, collecting taxes, just remain a brahmachari." Um, and Priyavrata was like, yeah, <laughs> right? But then Lord Brahma comes, Narada Muni's father, and says, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, I disagree with Narada Muni. Um, you, you have to uh, become a, a king, and you'll, you'll, but you'll, you'll ultimately renounce everything and, be, and you are Krishna, you'll be Krishna's great devotee throughout. So what should you do? Narada Muni, Lord Brahma, Narada Muni, Lord Brahma. You know, like, you know, who, you know, what's like, right? So... If it was clear because Lord Brahma was the superior person, then um, then he followed Lord Brahma. But there was two different instructions, right? And what, which one do I do, right? And of course, even then, and by the way, Narada showed great character because Narada um, was actually very happy that even though his idea what was best for Priyavrata wasn't followed, um, he was happy to that as superior, um, you know, and, and he wasn't at all envious or anything of Lord Brahma's direction. So yes, there are. There are, um, in between the absolutes of chanting Hare Krishna and taking prasadam and worshiping the deity and associating with devotees, there are the details of our life. And so that's best uh, um, figured out in conjunction with other devotees because there's too many individual cases. Is that all right? Anything else? Gurudas Prabhu? There's a microphone. Uh, before, when you were talking about accumulation of wealth, um, I was thinking of Srila Prabhupada, how, of course, unique a personality, spiritual personality, and our founder, Acharya, but also in his householder days after meeting his spiritual master, he set the example for the rest of us in that he was striving for wealth to expand his business but he had in the back of his mind I wanted to make 
uh, I want to fill the order of my spiritual master. Yeah. And otherwise, you know, wealth is a lot based on karma. Like how many stories, especially, um, well, especially sports figures, right, who become incredibly rich and then like they're in debt like anything, <laughs> right? So there's rags to riches stories. There's also riches to rags stories. And it's all kind of a, because what is another name for uh, Lakshmi? Chanchala. What does chanchala mean? Flickering. Right. Sometimes you know you're, you know you're rich. Another time you know your stock, the stocks go down, and you're poor, and you know it's it happens, right? It happens to people. <clears throat> so let's carry on. Of the two, the male will, will be able to expand his reputation throughout the world. His name will be Pritu. Indeed, he will be the first among kings. The female has such beautiful teeth and beautiful qualities that she will uh, actually beautify the ornaments she wears. That's very beautiful. You make your ornaments look better and so the ornaments make you look better. Her name will be Archie. In the future, she will accept Pritu as her husband. So don't skip the dentist. And beauty is often seen by your, by your teeth. Right? In the form of... King Prithu, the Supreme Personality of God, it has appeared through a part of his potency to protect the people of the world. The Goddess of Fortune is the constant companion of the Lord, and therefore she has incarnated partially as Archie uh, to become King Prithu's queen. So in the purport, Prabhupada talks about, um, in the Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that whenever one sees an extraordinary power he should conclude that a specific partial representation of the Supreme Personality of God is present. Uh, just like we, Krishna says, Parusham Nishu in the Gita, he says that I am the ability in other in man. Right? So you see, so you can even see someone who's really, 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 really good at something. Right? That he that they have some empowerment. Right? Just like I'm told that our doctor here in the back is a fantastic doctor. So he's empowered by Krishna. Okay, both of them. <laughs> empowered by Krishna. You see that sometimes, right? That people are just, like even in, in you know, someone who's just amazing at worshiping the deity, right? Or decorating the deity. Or just incredible at cooking, right? Or, you know, you, there's just a certain, even in sports, somebody who's just heads above everybody else. So there, there's some empowerment. Of course, here we're talking about some much greater empowerment in the next few sentences. There are innumerable uh, such personalities, but not all of them are direct Vishnu Tattva plenary expansions of the Lord. Many living entities are classified among the Shakti Tattvas. Such incarnations empowered for specific purposes are known as Shaktyavesh avatars. King Prithu was such a Shaktyavesh avatar. So in the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita, it talks about um, some of the foremost Shaktivesha avatars, Sheshanag uh, in, in the Vaikuntha world, Anantadev, empowered to bear all the planets within the universe, Lord Brahma, uh, the four Kumaras, Narada Muni, and Prithu, and Parshuram. So just, uh, I just highlighted this verse because it's sometimes in, in good to know that there's different avatars of Krishna. There's, what are some other ones besides Shaktivesh? 
Yuga avatar. What else? Purusha avatar. Someone's Leela avatars. Manvantara avatars. Kuna avatars. Yes, those are I think the main ones. So so there's different. Yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata. Abhutanam dharmasya tadatmanam shidamiham. Krishna comes in different forms and different ways. Um, to uh, deliver, help us, and to display his pastimes. Okay, anything on Shaktivesh avatars? Sometimes it, uh, sometimes uh, in ISKCON people uh, have said that they consider Srila Prabhupada a Shaktivesh avatar. Now, I don't know if he ever said that, and, um, but that's sometimes said by devotees. Yes, Andy, microphone. Yeah, you got to make it green. I know there's a whole branch of shak shaktism. So shakti is power. Mm -hmm. So what does that actually mean? Shakti vesa. Is yes. So power exactly, or it's a pa the ave what avesh means. Avesh. What? Empowered. Oh. So empowered with the shakti <laughs> of, empowered with the shakti of yeah. God. Yeah. So given yes. a certain power. Yes. Not given all powers. But exactly. Just a certain exactly. Power. Exactly. Even sometimes Lord Shiva is mentioned there, although he's not. We also don't say that Shiva is a living entity. But I did read one of Prabhupada's purports today that said that. Anything else? Oh yes. Hare Krishna. So yes, uh, this topic did come out when Shri Prabhupada was here on the planet, and uh, one devotee who had gone to Goryamat you know, some of, um, and met some of Srila Prabhupada's godbrothers, he brought a message back. So he, he was expressing to Srila Prabhupada that they said that if um, Lord Gauranga wanted to spread Krishna consciousness across the world, he could have done it himself. And then Srila Prabhupada said, but then he left the job to me, just like Krishna did not kill everyone on the Kurukshetra, he left that job to Arjun. Right. So Lord wants to glorify his devotees and the devotees glorify the Lord. So it's a loving exchange that happens. Yes. And Lord empowers. So, yes. and so that reminds me of that quote from Balvacharya, Krishna Shakti Vina Nahe Taro Pavartana. So there again, we use the word Krishna Shakti. So in order to um, bring other souls, especially many, many souls, to Krishna's lotus feet, it's, it's in, one is empowered with Krishna Shakti. Just when the power of the heater comes on. Okay, carry on. The great sage, it's going to be amazing because we're actually going to finish a whole chapter in one day today because we're empowered by Krishna. The great, <laughs> I say that now, we're probably going to not do it, right? <laughs> the great sage Maitreya continued, my dear Viduraji, at that time all the Brahmanas highly praised and glorified King Prithu and the best singers of Gandharva Loka chanted his glories. The inhabitants of Siddhaloka showered flowers and the beautiful women in the heavenly planets danced in ecstasy. Conch shells, bugles, drums, and kettle drums vibrated in the outer sky. Great sages, forefathers, and personalities from the heavenly planets all came to earth from various planetary systems. Lord Brahma, the master of the entire universe, arrived there accompanied by all the demigods and their chiefs. Seeing the lines of Lord, uh, of, uh, Lord Vishnu's palm on King Prithu's 
right hand and impressions of lotus flowers on the soles of his feet, Lord Brahma could understand that King Prithu was a partial representation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. One whose palm bears the signs of a disc as well as other such lines should be considered a partial representation or incarnation of the Supreme Lord. So, very special. The learned Brahmanas who were very attached to the Vedic ritualistic ceremonies then arranged for the king's coronation. People from all directions collected all the different paraphernalia for the ceremony. Thus, everything was complete. All the rivers, seas, hills, mountains, serpents, cows, birds, animals, heavenly planets, the earthly planet, and all other living entities collected various presentations according to their ability to offer to the king. Thus, the great king Prithu, exquisitely dressed with garments and ornaments, was coronated and placed on the throne. The king and his wife Archie, who was also exquisitely ornamented, appeared exactly like fire. The great sage continued, My dear Vidura, who's the great sage? Maitreya. Maitreya. Um, my dear Vidura, Kuvera presented the great king Prithu with a golden throne. The demigod Varuna presented him with an umbrella. Listen to this umbrella. Wouldn't it be cool to have this kind of umbrella? The demigod Varuna presented him with an umbrella that constantly sprayed fine particles of water, especially if you use it in the summer, right, to block the sun. It was just, they should, there you go, somebody could make a million dollars, you know. I gave you a good business idea for an entrepreneur. I didn't, uh, the Bhagavatam did. Particles of water and was a, as brilliant as the moon. The demigod of air, Vayu, presented King Prithu with two whisks, chamaras of hair. The king of Religion, Dharma, presented him with a flower garland which would expand his fame. The king of heaven, Indra, presented him with a valuable helmet. And the superintendent of death, Yamaraj, presented him with a scepter uh, uh, by which to, with which to rule the world. Lord Brahma presented King Prithu with a protective garment made of spiritual knowledge. That's a cool kind of protection. You're protected by knowledge. Bharati, Saraswati, the wife of Brahma, gave him a transcendental necklace. Lord Vishnu presented him with the Sudarsan Chakra, and Lord Vishnu's wife, the goddess of fortune, gave him imperishable opulences. In the purport, Prabhupada says it's a slightly different Sudarsan than that of Lord Vishnu's. Lord Shiva presented him with a sword with a sheath marked with 10 moons, and his wife, the goddess Durga, presented him with a shield marked with 100 moons. The moon demigod presented him with horses made of nectar, and the demigod Vishvakarma presented him with a very beautiful chariot. So these are all mystical things sometimes that, you know, uh, that, uh, not to be seen so much on this planet. The demigod of fire, Agni, presented him with a bow made of the horns of goats and cows. The sun god presented him with arrows as brilliant as sunshine. The predominating deed of Burloka presented him with slippers full of mystic power. Wouldn't you like to walk around the house with slippers made of mystic power? The demigods from outer space, better than Crocs, the demigods from outer space brought him presentations of flowers again and again. The demigods who always traveled in outer space gave King Prithu the arts of, to perform drama, sing songs, play musical instruments, and disappear at his will. The great sages also offered him invaluable blessings. The ocean offered him a conch shell produced from the ocean. The seas, mountains, and rivers gave him room to drive his chariot without impediment. And a sutta, a magada, and a uh, vandi offered 
prayers and uh, prayers and praises. They all presented themselves before him to uh, perform their respective duties. Thus, when the greatly powerful King Prithu, the son of Vena, saw the professionals before him, to congratulate them, he smiled, and with the gravity of the vibrating sound of clouds, he spoke as follows. King Prithu said, O gentle suttas, magadas, and other devotee uh, offering prayers, the qualities of which you have spoken are not distinct in me. Why then should you praise me for all these qualities when I do not shelter these features? I do not wish for these words meant for me to go in vain, but it is better that they be offered to someone else. O gentle, o gentle reciters, offer such prayers in due course of time. Bagme, right? When the qualities by, of which you have spoken actually manifest themselves in me. The gentle who offer prayers to the Supreme Personality of God do not attribute such qualities to a human being who does not actually have them. So this is a very interesting point. Huh? And the purport, Prabhupada writes that although Prithu Maharaj was factually an incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He rejected those praises because the qualities of the Supreme Person were not yet manifest in him. He wanted to stress that one who does not actually possess these qualities should not try to engage his followers and devotees in offering him glory for them, even though those qualities might manifest in the future. If a man who does not factually possess the attributes of a great personality engages in follower, his followers in praising him with the expectation that such attributes will uh, develop in the future, that sort of praise is actually an insult. So, um, so it's good to speak highly of other people. It's good to praise others, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But it should be realistic. Uh, matter of fact, it's a good practice in life to always try to find good qualities in someone else. Sometimes you think this person has no good qualities, right? But I'm sure you can find something. They can park their car nicely, <laughs> right? Or, or whatever, you know, right? Uh, you can find something to praise in people. Um, but it can, and, and actually praising inappropriately can actually be offensive, right? If you praise someone, uh, a guru, as God, then Prabhupada said, they are not God, G-O-D, they are dog, D-O-G. What, God, G-O-D, yeah, you know, right, God spelled backwards, right? So, and if someone accepts that, yes, now I'm, you know, and that's, that can be offensive both for the person receiving it, if they accept it, and the person saying it to, to make that, uh, to make that, that misunderstanding. Not just, it's offensive to Krishna to say that someone who's not God to be God. Um, so, we, uh, we should um, find truthful things to say, because exaggerations aren't necessary, right? We shouldn't say, oh, Raghunandam Prabhu is such a nice devotee. They're going to write a 13th canto of the Bhagavatam just about him. <laughs> Right? Because there's only 12 cantos for those who may not be familiar. Right? So, no, that, that you know, and then, and if Raghunanda's a good person, he's just like, oh, geez, you know, give me a break. Right? But if you say something factual, right? Um, 
that you know I could mention to many. I won't mention anyone by name here, but so and so, such a nice person. Despite the shortcomings of the speaker, they come every Sunday to hear, to hear the Bhagavatam. Now that's a factual statement. If someone actually does that, right, and it is something glorious, right. So so it's good that uh, that praise um, and appreciation is is real, right. Um, now, here, Prithu Maharaj is saying that, uh, you know, I haven't got, I haven't exhibited these yet, so uh, chill, <laughs> basically, right? Um, but it's interesting that we can, Prabhupada would look at us, and he would see that if we follow, we'll become, we can become a great devotee. And the example that he would often give is uh, an unripe mango. So yesterday I was at Giants, and they had you know pretty good price, right? A dollar per mango, not too bad, right? Uh, ten for ten dollars. So I got a few of them, but they were totally hard. But you know I knew that if you know, especially I think if they say if you put them in a brown bag or something like that, brown paper bag. But anyway, that I'm not buying it because it's hard as a rock, and I want to ruin my teeth, right? No, I'm going to wait a week or whatever it takes, and eventually the mango will become, uh, will become ripe. So, so he would say, uh, did, I make, did I actually? Yes, uh, Prabhupada. Prema is mature condition of bhava. Those are the very high stages of bhakti. Right? Just like a ripe mango and green mango. Green mango is the cause of the ripe mango. But to taste ripe mango, it is better than the unripe mango. Similarly, before attaining love of God, you have got different stages. Just like the same mango, it passes through different stages. Then one day, it comes nice yellow color, color fully ripened, and taste is so nice. hope I'm not making you hungry for <laughs> Alfonso mangoes. Right? Those are the best mangoes, I think, in India, Alfonso. Right? You get them in Bombay, especially, um, and Gujarat. Um, but so we may be on, you know, there's nine stages of bhakti, uh, shraddha, adoshraddha, sadhu sangha, bhajana kriya, nartanavritti, these different stages. But uh, if we stick to it, even we're in the green mango, it's becoming a little yellowish, a little yellowish, and it'll, it'll come. But it takes some time. Dire, dire. Right? It takes some time. So we should, so we can, you know, we can look at uh, uh, a, uh, a neophyte devotee and say this, you know, understand this person can become a great devotee because they're they're going to ripen as the days and weeks and months and years go on. But uh, it's just that we should be uh, honest in our praise, right? What are they, what are they, in India they say? Oh, you were trying to put on put muck on, you know, or it's the same thing. Muck on means butter. Right? In America we say you're trying to butter me up, right? That and even Prabodhananda Saraswati Thakur, he would say, "You can do like that." He says, he, but it was kind of funny how he put it. He said, "You are such a great person, you are such a great soul, you are so learned, but kindly forget all of that and just accept Lord Chaitanya's mercy." <laughs> that's, that's what he said. But he knew that you know it kind of works sometimes. But if we, you know, people can know when we're not being sincere. So we should, so our prayer, our our praise of others should be. Sincere. Right? Make sense? Some thoughts on that? 
Yes. Well, these were the yeah the suttas and magadas were jumping the gun, but you're going to see in the next chapter uh, if we get to it today that they still did it <laughs> and they had their reasons. <laughs> but from prit, you know, th- this is another thing. It's very, you know that's interesting in any relationship is you ha- you look at things from different points of view. We even use the word point of view, right? So when I'm talking to you, I only see my point of view. I don't see how it affects you, right? So there's a different. The, 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 the suttas and magadas were looking at a thing from one angle of vision, and Prithu Maharaj was looking from a different angle of vision. Right? Yes, Prabhu. So, about praising? Uh, What's that? Praising. Praising. Praising, praising yes. Like, uh, I understand that, like, uh, uh, you cannot praise, uh, like, you know, for. I'm not getting the right words to. Uh, insincerely, we could in, use. Insincerely. But when we praise the Lord, uh, you know, uh, it's again reciprocation, right? Yeah. So we really don't know, uh, we really don't understand, particularly I don't really understand, uh, and I just believe in scriptures, and still we, uh, I praise the Lord. Um, so is it is it an insincere thing? No, because first of all, you can't, any, any praise that we have for Krishna is, is insufficient. Right? Totally insufficient, right? Uh, and... If we don't have much realization, we can also uh, uh, recite the praise of those who do have realization. Like, for example, the Brahma Samhita. Okay, if we uh, recite the Brahma Samhita. So here's someone who had Shakshad Darshan of the Lord, actually saw the Lord face to face. And these are his realizations. So although we might you know, still be down here, we can, um, or Arjuna's prayer, some of his prayers in the 11th chapter and uh, elsewhere. Uh, or even the tenth chapter, Param Brahma Param Dham Pavitram Paramam Bhavam, right? They, they, so, and and the Bhagavatam is full of prayers, uh, the Queen Kunti's prayers, uh, the prayers of a of a of Vishnu Dev's prayer, you know, of someone who actually had this Shaksha Darshan. So that's that's they're very very powerful, and their Krishna is attracted by them. But yeah, we can't go wrong by saying, hey, Krishna, you're the greatest. You're you know you're the best. You're the it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because even if you could get everything right, he, ex- he becomes better a second later. <laughs> right? So he really is. It's, it's hard for us to, we can't really fathom what like unlimited beauty means. Because it takes a pure heart to appreciate that unlimited beauty. Unlimited kindness, unlimited renunciation. What are the six qualities? The six unlimited strength, unlimited fame, unlimited beauty. Yeah, so it's like wealth. Yeah, because Krishna owns everything. Yeah, knowledge, unlimited knowledge. Yes. So, um, but we're limited. So therefore, we we praise a little more carefully. <laughs> Other thoughts? Yes. Hare Krishna. So Shila Prabhupada, you know, he used to inspire the painters to do different type of paintings, and one of the painter, I'm forgetting the name of the gentleman, right? He painted, a, you know, where Krishna is alone playing, and there's not anyone around. So he's like, what is he doing? So. Uh, Srila Prabhupada inquired, like, you know, 
what is the scene? Where is it from Srimad Bhagavatam? He's like, but Krishna is unlimited. Srila Prabhupada responded, Krishna is unlimited, but we are limited. <laughs> you are limited in directing to him. And stay with Srimad Bhagavatam to kind of like, you know, give that reference. Yes. So the, it's... The, and we've talked about this, right? So really the way to develop humility ultimately is, is by understanding how great Krishna is. Right? And then, you, then, you, then, you, then the comparison is kind of uh, ludicrous. Right? <laughs> how could an intelligent man, competent enough to possess such exalted qualities, allow his followers to praise him if he did not actually have them? Praising a man by saying that if he were educated, he might have become a great scholar <laughs> or a great personality is nothing but a process of cheating. A foolish person who agrees to accept such praise does not know that such words simply insult him. As a person with a sense of honor and magnanimity does not like to hear about his abominable actions, a person who is very famous and powerful does not like to hear himself praised. Do we like to hear ourselves praised? Oh man, definitely. Right? King Pritsu continued, my dear devotees, headed by the sutta, uh, just now I am not very famous for my personal activities because I have not done anything praiseworthy you could glorify. Therefore, how could I engage you in praising my activities exactly like children? Because kings had people who would praise them. Right? It was, Okay, so now, text 16, we did finish that chapter. Aren't you? Pat yourselves all on the back. We finished it. Praise of King Prithu by the professional reciters, even though we said, don't do it. <laughs> the great sage Maitreya continued, when King Prithu thus spoke, the humility of his nectarian um, speeches pleased the reciters very much. Then again, they continued to praise the king highly with exalted prayers, as they had been instructed by the great sages. So, you know, the, the, his humility just wanted them to praise more. <laughs> Prophet writes towards the end of the purport, although the king denied such praise because he was not at the time exhibiting his godly qualities, the reciters did not stop praising him. Rather, they were very pleased with the king, who, although actually an incarnation of God, was so humble and delightful in his dealings with devotees. In this connection, we may note that previously, in the 15th chapter, it was mentioned that King Prithu was smiling and was in a pleasant mood while speaking to the reciters. Thus, we have to learn from the Lord or his incarnation how to become gentle and humble. The king's behavior was very pleasing to the reciters, and consequently, the reciters continued their praise and even foretold the, of the, the king's future activities as they had been instructed by the sadhus and sages. Thus we have to learn from the Lord or his incarnation how to become gentle and humble. So he was gentle and humble. And um, he was so humble and delightful in his dealings with devotees. So wouldn't that be nice if, if we always thought that we're in our association with others that we're humble and delightful. People come to the temple. What was your impression of the temple? Everyone in the temple was so delightful. Everyone was so gentle and humble. Very attractive quality. So here the suttas, uh, 
They were very attracted by that. They couldn't stop, you know. It just made them more want to praise him. So, um, this is, uh, yeah, very nice. This should be our, our modus operandi, that uh, we um, are uh, delightful in our dealings with each other. And it's not easy, because Kali Yuga, the Yuga that we live in right now, is, uh, and the energies are surrounding us of passion and ignorance are very strong, and they manifest in terms of pride, in terms of envy, in terms of, you know, so many things, or, or being easily disturbed. Someone takes our parking space and we, you know, something like that. We, you know, we, we can get worked up very easily. So it does take a large dose of the mode of goodness to remain calm so that we can be transcendental in terms of being delightful and humble and gentle. Some thoughts on this? Yes, Andy. Uh, we know that humility is very important. We had a whole series on it. Right. But then it, it becomes apparent here that being pleasant and delightful might even be better because if you're humble, you may not really be that great. So it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense to be humble. But it's always nice to be delightful and pleasant. Yes. It's a lot easier to be delightful and pleasant when you're not trying to do one-upmanship. So they, they work together. So when you're actually humble, which means you understand how great God is and that you're his servant and all these things, then it's much easier to um, um, be delightful and, and be real in your being delightful and gentle. Otherwise, you can you know, just kind of, yeah. It, you see, because the root cause of our undelightfulness, if there was such a word, is our envy of Krishna. Remember I told you that song by the Oak Ridge Boys, nobody wants to play rhythm guitar behind Jesus. Everyone wants to be the lead singer in the band. Right? The rhythm guitar is not a very, it's just you kind of, you don't have to be a really super quality, you don't have to be Jimi Hendrix to play rhythm guitar or Eric Clapton. Uh, so nobody wants to play rhythm guitar, everyone wants to be the lead singer. So that's our problem. That's our problem. Uh, and then it has a cascading effect in terms of our dealings with others. Right. Okay, anything else on this? Oh, gentle and humble and delightful devotees? Yes. Prematurangani? In this case, they also received instructions from the sages. Good so point. they're kind of like following them. Yes. Although the king is great, but then they had the guru kind uh -huh. of too. Yes, very good, very good point. Yes, yeah, so they, they, they had all license to do it because they were following the instructions of the brahmanas and the sages. So yeah, I know king, I really like to follow your instructions, but you know, I have higher orders. It's not only that, right, but it's partially that. Go ahead. I think it comes back to the delightful personality of the king. In other words, he was being critical of them for what they were saying, 
But he knew, they knew from his personality that he wouldn't really hurt them. He wouldn't really good. beat them to death. That's a so very good point as well. He's comfortable going against what he said because he's always nice and he's not going to hurt you. Right. It said that someplace that he, you know, right, he wasn't, um, although the king denied such praise because he was not at the time exhibiting his godly qualities, the reciters did not stop. Rather, they were pleased, you know, somewhere it says that he, you know, his, um, he wasn't really chastising them. Yeah. Yeah. So he made it easy for them to carry on. Someone else? So Prabhu, while we were talking about this uh, mood of being gentle and humble and delightful in dealings, um, I was trying to relate it to the state of mind also. It has a lot to do with the state of mind also, right. how a person feels which reflects in their dealings and behavior. This was one thing I was thinking, and the other thing was, in all the conversations we are seeing in Bhagavatam, it seems um, the interactions are uh, in a mood of humility. I mean, all the questions which are being asked and answered, humility, I'm observing. Now I started looking back at it, how, you know, what, whatever I can recollect. Mm -hmm. So uh, just uh, I was thinking to mention that, that not necessarily delightful, but certainly we can see the questions which are being asked in a humble state, in a humble state of uh, right. interaction. And also we see there the, the answers which are being given by the sages or different personalities, they are similar. So once we bring up these points, we can reflect back on whatever we have covered so far. And mm -hmm. It becomes easy to relate. Thanks. But Thank one you. thing certainly, though, it's if a person is feeling at, at peace in their heart and mind, they can show it in their behavior. If yes. they're disturbed, they can show opposite. Right, right. right? And humble, is, we've said this before, but humble doesn't, you can be extremely assertive and still be humble. Right, You can, because humble means you're a servant of God and sometimes for Krishna's service, Sometimes you have to be you you have to be extremely assertive, you know, to get things done in this world. So Prabhupada would sometimes give the example. He said you can be a lion on the chase, but when you're back with the devotees, you should be a lamb at home. So when we're amongst you know, like-minded devotees, and you know, we should be very gentle. But sometimes to get things uh, done in this world, you have to be you know very strong. Right for uh, and 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 intelligent and, and things like that, you know, to to get the land in the Juhu Temple, for example, and to build that, construct that beautiful temple that is there now. Prabhupada was like a lion, and instructed the devotees to, you know, don't take no for an answer. We need to get permission from the government. We need to, you know, do this. So 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 some so we, uh, you know, he even said one time. He said, I want to. Um, Devotees were saying, Prabhupada, you're not feeling so well. You should go to Gita Nagari and rest. And he said, uh, he said, no, I want to die on the battlefield like Arjuna. So, so I just didn't want our, uh, us to think that humility just means walking around all day, like kind of like with our shoulders lumped over. And <laughs> right. One can also be very uh, firm. Did you, you have the microphone? Did you want to say something? 
Uh, I can just say that my Guru Maharaj always likes to give like three pointers for definition of humility. So he says that uh, the conception of who I am should be that I'm a servant of Krishna. And then I'm giving pleasure to Krishna. Whatever I'm doing, it's for their, his pleasure. Mm -hmm. And the benefactor of this activity is not me, but the others. Nice. <laughs> nice. Mama Prabhu? Prabhu, I liked uh, another reason for praise is the pleasing. Because his, with his humility and gentleness, he pleased everyone there, so they continued. Yes, yes. And you know, it's good, you know, if you, if you have, if you see something in another that you really appreciate, tell them. Make their day. I mean, you know, people, besides, the, you know, so we're not totally 100% on a level, it doesn't matter if I get praised, but devotees, you know, it is encouraging to them to even improve more when you say that was, you know, when you said that, I really appreciated that Prabhu or Mataji or whatever, because, you know, so... Um, we don't think, oh, I better not praise that person or they're going to get proud. Okay, shall we carry on? We had two more verses, two more purports we were going to cover. The reciters continued, Dear King, you are a direct incarnation of the Supreme Personality of God and Lord Vishnu. Just look at your, your hands and your feet, right? Uh, and by his causeless mercy, you have descended to this earth. Therefore, it is not possible for us to actually glorify your exalted activities. Although you have appeared through the body of King Vena, even great orators and speakers like Lord Brahma and other demigods cannot exactly describe the glorious activities of your lordship. Although we are unable to glorify you adequately, we nonetheless have a transcendental taste for glorifying your activities. We shall try to glorify you according to the instructions received from authoritative sages and scholars. So there's that point that Prematurangani Matsu is bringing up. Whatever we speak, however, is always inadequate and very insignificant. Dear King, because you are a direct incarnation of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Godhead all your activities are liberal and ever laudable. And in the purport, um, Prabhupada writes in first, first and last sentences, however expert one may be, he can never describe the glories of the Lord adequately. We just said that before, right? Nonetheless, those engaged in glorifying the activities of the Lord should try to do so as far as possible. Such an attempt will please the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then in the last sentence, even though preachers of the Christian consciousness movement may be unable to describe the glories of the Lord, they can nonetheless go everywhere and request people to chant Hare Krishna. So, yeah, the glories of the Lord. Um, just think, so Krishna creates Lord Brahma, right? He's a living entity. And think of how long Lord Brahma lives. <laughs> so Prabhupada writes that human beings count 365 days in, in, in a year, right? We all know that. And the cycle of four yugas, Satya, Treta, Dvapara, Kali, uh, comprises approximately 4,320,000 of such years. That's a long time, isn't it? And a thousand of those yuga cycles, a thousand of those yuga cycles make up the, no? The daytime, 12 hours of Lord Brahma. In this way, his month and year can be calculated and Brahma lives for a hundred such years. 
But despite this vast lifespan, 311 trillion, 40 billion human years, Lord Brahma is a mortal being and the universe created by him is also perishable. So Krishna creates that Brahma and he's not even such a big deal. I mean, with all, I don't mean to... You know, there, there's bigger Brahmas than him and there's so many different universes. Right? So just imagine how great Krishna is. Just give us some idea, you know, and to get us out of like, you know, oh, darn, I stubbed my toe today. It kind of hurts, you know. I mean, <laughs> we sometimes focus on the smallest temporary things in the world. And like, you know, sometimes when you hear about Lord Brahma, then you kind of think, you get, put things in perspective a little bit, right? It's cold outside today. Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> Not the end of the world, right? Even even the in America they have that saying that's a little it's a little different right but um, you know somebody says uh, whatever right uh, <clears throat> I got a flat tire in my Lexus that's a real first world problem right some people what is it what is half the people what percentage of the people live on less than two dollars a day something like that some huge percentage of the world's population right so anyway just yeah, uh, Krishna is um, great. And it's okay to understand how, it's good actually to understand how great he is. It doesn't, it can, if that was our, if that was our only focus, then the intimacy of Krishna's relationship with his devotees and the whole mood of Vrindavan might be blocked a little bit. But for us, it's it's not so bad. It's just like, uh, the example I once heard, if you have a really good friend, right? It, well, this, well, this is kind of the backwards example, but anyway, it gives you some idea. You have a really, really good friend, and they've always been really nice to them, and then one day you find out that they're a billionaire. They're like one of the richest people in the world. Um, that just increases your appreciation for, for their friendship. And, you know. So it's kind of the opposite, that we understand Krishna is so great. Uh, Krishna Das Kaviraj Goswami says that you shouldn't... Um, uh, don't avoid understanding how great Krishna is. It can lead to uh, higher levels of bhakti. But on the highest level of bhakti, the gopis, the cowherd boys, they, they, it's like, it's not on their radar. They're just so much in love with Krishna that that's, that's their whole uh, amazement. Even Mother Yashoda so you know she's she has so much affection for Krishna, so much love, and she and her and Krishna's friends say, Krishna ate some dirt. Krishna ate some dirt, right? And so uh, Mother Yashoda, okay, I gotta look in. She looks inside of Krishna's mouth, and she sees so many different universes, right? And so for a second, she gets covered by Krishna's opulence. Then she closes up and says, "Stop eating dirt," because <laughs> the 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 Madhurya overwhelms the Aishwarya. The, the, the sweetness of their relationship just overwhelms the greatness of Krishna. But that's on a very high level, but a level that we can at least appreciate today. So any thoughts about Krishna's greatness? Krishna, so you, you made me think of, uh, there was one time, I'm not sure in a purport, or Prabhupada mentioned how uh, some 
so-called disciples would uh, learn the art of praising the guru but not actually doing anything. Yes. Uh, Dandavat devotees, he called them. Yeah. Right? You just pay obeisances all the time, but then you just sit around and eat and sleep. <laughs> and and I, I guess the, uh, the 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 opposite to that would be if if we are uh, trying uh, to praise the Lord, we should we should uh, be doing uh, for Him, you know, uh, act uh, that and and realizing, I guess, at the same time. Yeah, well, our service is so, it's our connection with Krishna, and Prabhupada appreciated One time, I, I don't forget what it was, but Prabhupada was sitting at his desk, and I think maybe the devotee had to switch a light bulb or something. And they, they kind of said, Srila Prabhupada, uh, you know, and they were really like, mm, could you please move, you know, a little bit? Cause I wanna... And Prabhupada said, but for Krishna's service, you can step on my head. <laughs> and then another time, they were on the... Uh, the train going from uh, Tokyo to Kobe in Japan. And uh, the, 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 plane, the train in, called the Bullet, it goes very fast, 200 something kilometers an hour. And uh, so at one time, so the, the, the benches face each other like in many trains, right? So at one time, Banu Swami, he got up and he said, Prabhupada, you can rest your feet on this, you know, extend your feet. And so he did that. And then because it's, the train goes so fast, uh, the conductor came a few minutes later and told Banaswami he has to sit down. So then Banaswami said, uh, Prabhupada, could you move your lotus feet? So, because <laughs> the conductor, and Prabhupada said, I will, you know, I will move my lotus feet so the lotus-like devotee can, can sit down. So he was praising him. Jai Sisi Gornitai, Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman. So let's let's continue. We had one other verse. We'll see if we get to it. But I'm really I'm, I'm I usually calculate wrong, right? I usually tell you to read so much ahead and we don't get to it. But this time, where I'm pretty much on on target, this king Maharaj Prithu is the best among those who are following religious principles. As such, he will engage everyone in the pursuit of religious principles and give uh, those principles all protection. He will also be a great chastiser of the irreligious and atheistic. So he was, there you go, a devotee can be very firm, right? Or God can be very firm. Uh, this king alone uh, in his own body will be able to, it will be able in due course of time to maintain all living entities and keep them in a pleasant condition by manifesting himself as different demigods to perform various departmental activities. Thus, he will maintain the upper planetary system by inducing the populace to perform Vedic sacrifices. In due course of time, he will also maintain this earthly planet by discharging proper rainfall. The, this King Prithu will be as powerful as the sun god, and just as the sun god equally distributes his sunshine to everyone, King Prithu will distribute his mercy equally. Similarly, just as the sun god evaporates water for eight months and during the rainy season returns it profusely, the king will also exact taxes from the citizens and return these monies in times of need. So the ideal government does uh, take in taxes, but the citizens feel they're getting more than their money's worth. No comments on present day government. This king, Prithu, will be very, very kind to all citizens. Even though a poor person may trample over the king's head by violating the rules and regulation, the king, out of his causeless mercy, will be forgetful and forgiving. As a protector of the world, 
he will be as tolerant as the earth itself, right? The earth is very tolerant. People are drilling and fracking and doing all kinds of stuff, and still we are getting food to eat. When there is no rainfall and the citizens are in great danger due to the, uh, the scarcity of water, this royal personality of Godhead will be able to supply rains exactly like the heavenly king Indra. Thus, he will very easily be able to protect the citizens from drought. Thus, this king, uh, this king Prithu Maharaj, by virtue of his affectionate glances and beautiful moonlike face, which is always smiling with great affection for the citizens, will enhance everyone's peaceful life. The reciters continued, No one will be able to understand the policies uh, the king will follow. His activities will also be very confidential, and it will not be possible for anyone to know how he will make every activity successful. His treasury will also remain unknown to everyone. He will be the reservoir of unlimited glories and good qualities, and his position will be maintained and covered just as Varuna, the deity of the seas, is covered by water. So that's the last verse. Uh, in the purport, Prabhupada gives very practical advice that a wise person doesn't tell too many people how much money they have. Very practical advice. If you do that in this temple, you'll know you're going to get a call from Chaitanya Nitai Prabhu. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> but at least he'll do it for the right purpose. He'll do it for Krishna. Now, next week is Nityananda Toyodasi. So this means another hiatus in classes because next week, no class. And then the next, how many Sundays, I'm in India again. Um, anyone have a calendar real quick? Calendar. Oh, there we go. Calendar. Okay, so next week no class because of uh, Nityananda Triodicy, Lord Nityananda's appearance day. And then the 24th, I am in India. Where's the next month? Okay. And then the third I'm in India, and the tenth I'm in India. So we don't have class until um, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, 17th. I think I return on the 10th, probably too late to uh, give class. So, so read 41 pages a day of the Bhagavatam in the meantime. Uh, and enjoy your time off, but, don't, but do come back, because we're really in exciting times. 